Welcome to On the Cusp, the podcast that analyzes the new risks and the new forms of aggression facing liberal democracies, and hears from the innovative people at the forefront of countering such risks and such aggression. I'm your host, Elizabeth Braw, and I also lead Rus's Modern Deterrence Project, which studies such hostile activities and such risks and what to do about them. Think predatory economics, insurance gaps, and cyber attacks. You can find On the Cusp wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And to learn more about modern deterrence, visit www.rusi.org slash modern deterrence, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. And you can tweet me too. I'm Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our partners at Willis House Watson for making this podcast possible. Cyber attackers are not taking a break during the coronavirus outbreak. On the contrary, they are stepping up their aggression. Interpol has just warned that cyber attacks on hospitals have been increasing during the coronavirus outbreak. A Czech hospital has already been attacked, as have French hospitals. Even the US Department of Health and Human Services, which is obviously not a hospital, but handles enormous amounts of personal data, has been targeted in the cyber attack, though in this case, the perpetrators were unsuccessful. Here's what Interpol said. Interpol's cybercrime threat response team at its Cyber Fusion Center has detected a significant increase in the number of attempted ransomware attacks against key organizations and infrastructure engaged in the virus response. Cybercriminals are using ransomware to hold hospitals and medical services digitally hostage, preventing them from accessing vital files and systems until ransom is paid. So this is me again. In other words, criminals are subjecting hospitals to ransomware attacks and locking those hospitals out of their patient files if they don't pay. Now, needless to say, without access to patient files, hospitals can't operate. So they may have no choice but to pay the attackers. And it is, as we all know, not just criminals who are causing harm and chaos in cyberspace. In addition to opportunistic coronavirus cyber aggression, liberal democracies also have to worry about aggression by hostile states and their proxies. Now, given how pluralistic our societies are and how easy it is for cyber attackers to change their tactics, that's an extremely difficult task. How do you deter a freelance hacker operating on behalf of a hostile government? Threatening that government doesn't work. As a side note, in the upcoming issue of the Rusi Journal, Professor Gary Brown of the National Defense University and I have an article proposing a new kind of cyber deterrence directed at specifically those kinds of people, i.e. proxies operating on behalf of other governments. But meanwhile, the cyber attacks continue and increase. Now, the US Congress has taken an excellent step to try to remedy this situation. The Cyberspace Solarium Commission is a high-level bipartisan commission appointed by Congress and it has just delivered its recommendations about what needs to be done. Just before the commission delivered its findings, I sat down with Commissioner Samantha Ravitch, who is also the vice chair of President Trump's Intelligence Advisory Board, to discuss what the commission was going to recommend. Now, Roos is a very busy organization, but we were lucky to find the last room available, which is what one might call the tower room at the very top of the building, and it comes with an echo. My guest today is Dr. Samantha Ravitch, a member of the US Cyberspace Solarium Commission, a congressional commission, bipartisan, comprising members of Congress and the administration by the US government, charged with the 
quite formidable task of figuring out how to protect the United States against uh, devastating cyber attacks. Now, Samantha, I think the first question everybody asks themselves is how serious is the threat of a devastating cyber attack against a country like the US or the UK or any other developed economy? Well, thank you. And thank you for um, having me on the podcast. Um, but before I answer that question, I just want to clarify that the Cyberspace Solarium Commission is not just dealing with devastating cyber attacks, which I will talk about, but also how the U.S. government and the U.S. private sector, the U.S. economy, the U.S. citizenry needs to live and act in this day and age where everything is connected in cyberspace. We are so vulnerable at every level of our livelihoods, of our health, of our welfare, of our national security and national economy. And the Cyber Solarium Commission is intended to look at that uh, landscape and how we are best positioned to live and thrive in it. Because the, the threats are formidable. Um, you know, we have spent a lot of time looking at cyber enabled economic warfare, which basically looks at how adversaries are attacking and seek to attack our economy, the source of our strength in order to weaken us militarily. And we have seen it over and over again in exploits of our grid, in exploits of our banks, in the theft of our most sensitive technology driving out of, of business through cyber attacks, uh, a number of, of companies, and ultimately attacking the networks uh, in our government. And that actually is a, a quite depressing picture, which makes one think that actually there is no chance of defending a country against such aggression. And so that makes your commission's task even more daunting. That's right. It is it is daunting, but there is a path forward, not a path forward to end up where you will never be at any risk. Um, that's a, a kind of a foolhardy task, but a path forward to a place where we are more resilient and the costs to the adversary have increased if they do decide to attack us. And the, the report kind of focuses on what we call layered deterrence. Um, it has three aspects of layered deterrence. It is deterrence by entanglement, let's just say, where um, we are working closely with partners and allies, but also understanding what do the adversaries want from the global commons, how to get them so involved in the global commons that it will be to their detriment if they undermine or attack it. It is also a deterrence by denial. And this is a major component of the report. It is shoring up our resiliency of our government, of our private sector, of our critical infrastructure, of our allies, so that the adversary, again, is um, uh, the costs are increased. It's harder and harder. It is not worth it to attack us because we are so resilient and we can take the actions after we are attacked. And, and of course it is uh, deterrence um, by offensive measures, meaning that uh, the adversary is very clear in their understanding of the pain and suffering they will face if we are attacked. These are incredibly useful responses, but who is going to do them? So uh, I think there, there are two aspects to your commission's task. First, 
how likely is it that the US or a similar country, in fact, because we can all learn from your report, which, by the way, is now available on the Internet. So the first question is really how likely is it that that US or a similar country will be hit by a serious cyber attack? And then the second question is who should respond in the manner that you have just described? Is it just the US government or the government? Is it the private sector as well? And if so, what is the role for the private sector? I think we must act and prepare in the assumption that we will suffer a major catastrophic um, cyber attack. Hopefully we won't, but we don't want to live on hope. We want to plan and exercise and operationalize a way to recover, to have resilience in the event that we do suffer um, such an attack. Because the, the, the planning and the operationalization of resilience, we call it continuity of the economy. Um, ensuring that the major components of the economy can quickly recover is also a, a plank of deterrence. Again, it goes to deterrence by denial. If the adversary knows that we will not be bowed, that we will not be taken down, and that they will suffer the consequences of any attack upon us, um, they hopefully will think uh, twice or more than twice. And in terms of, of how likely is it to get done, um, I think that it has a high likelihood. The, the commission's report has 75 recommendations. Uh, many of these recommendations have been written in clear legislative language that can be cut and pasted into new legislation. Um, so it becomes laws that the executive branch and, and others must undertake. And working with our allies is a, is a key component of this because we are interconnected. America's Atlantic and Pacific Oceans don't protect us in, in, in this matter. But how do you bring the private sector in? Because no company likes to be told it needs to do more. And yet you are telling companies they need to do more. It's clearly in their own interest, but many companies prefer hope, I think. Yes. So there's a there's a few ways that we believe that we can get the, the private sector uh, more involved in this endeavor to protect uh, all of us and frankly, to protect them as citizens and to protect their livelihoods in the company themselves. Um, you know, the, the first is that those companies that are part of critical infrastructure in the United States, there are authorities in the U.S. government that uh, allow, it's called the Defense Production Act, that uh, will allow the government to work in, in very specific ways with private companies um, and do planning for day after events. But there are a couple of other things. Uh, there are the incentives that can be given to companies, tax incentives, the way that they can cost out their expenses for cybersecurity resilience. So it uh, is not just taking away from the bottom line and giving the chief financial officer pause before they decide to ramp up cybersecurity. So there are, there are benefits that can be given to companies. And then uh, there are also ways which the U.S. taxpayer and the U.S. consumer can vote with their feet. The, re the commission makes recommendations on new types of certification programs for technology. Uh, right now, the U.S. consumer lives in a world where it's impossible for anyone to know which phone is safer, which device is safer. I have no idea. Um, but if there were clear guidelines, clear certifications, I would, as a consumer, be able to say I'm going to buy X because it is more cyber secure and not Y. 
And that would either make Y go out of business or Y become more cyber secure so it could have more customers. That is a, a very good point. Customers will, consumers will vote with their feet. Um, another aspect I think is uh, the, the difference between companies that are traditionally seen as, as critical to, to the continuity of, of daily life. So uh, water, power and energy, electricity. And then companies that we, we just rely on anyway, like food retailers, what can be expected of them and how can they be incentivized to be part of it other than uh, us hoping for, for consumers to vote with their feet? Yes. So, you know, clearly, I mean, in the States, we do not uh, want to impose more regulation. We have no interest in, you know, having more regulated industries. But in truth, in fact, players like Walmart, um, who have been good stewards in, in national emergencies, hurricanes and, and uh, earthquakes and the like, are part of the critical infrastructure of the United States. Because if there is a major cyber attack and, and you know, certain grids go down and, and water becomes unpotable, um, people will go to their major chains like Walmart and look for food and water and other supplies. Uh, so, you know, the U.S. government, alongside of its private sector entities, are thinking through what makes sense, how to make sure that in times of emergency resources can flow um, to a broader category of businesses than previously kind of considered to be national uh, critical infrastructure. Now, that's all part of the resilience part, deterrence mm. by resilience. You mentioned denial deterrence by punishment as part of the commission's thinking. Can you tell us a little bit about what deterrence by punishment uh, should look like? In other words, how do we signal to our adversaries that they will suffer consequences if they attack us? So the Department of Defense uh, last year, the year before, um, published their cyber uh, strategy and included defend forward um, as a key component of, of the strategy. And the commission, what the commission has looked at is how to take that defend forward concept, meaning we can't wait until our networks are attacked when we see planning um, or operationalization uh, by the adversary to attack our networks. Uh, we can defend forward. Um, needs to be expanded beyond the Department of Defense to other parts of the U.S. government, uh, law enforcement, diplomacy, um, really a, a whole of government aspect to make this more of a reality. But it takes into, then it rolls into that other major plank of deterrence, which is working with our allies. And on any of these things, whether, you know, we're we're talking about international law enforcement efforts to go after the major players and and those that run them. We need an international effort to do it. It has been successful in, in the past and in different various fields, and it has to be a key, key component. The other piece of the working with allies, and this is a, a key, key piece that really goes across all, all three layers of deterrence is how to protect the data and in what form and where. Uh, because as we look towards resilience and reconstitution, we may want to think about working with our allies more closely to protect seed data of critical infrastructure in one country versus another, or you know, potentially we store each other's. Um, you know, kind of, so if your house burns down, you can come on over to mine and, and vice versa. 
Uh, we are actually in this together. There is no separation. And these are two really fascinating parts of the report. First, the, the what we might call the, the the doomsday vault of of data, sort of similar to to the the doomsday vault of of seeds that, that sits up in in Norway in a in a in a cave somewhere. And and then the second aspect that is so fascinating about the Commission's uh, recommendations is the the digital embassies, essentially, where one country agrees to host the, the critical data of another country uh, in case that country is hit. And it's it's a it's a mutual arrangement. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what that would look like, and have you discussed it with with allies? We are we have discussed the notional idea. Um, again, this is a commission with its. Re- with its recommendations coming out. Most of them will be legislative. There will be others that will be recommendations to the executive branch. This is a congressional commission. We have you know, three uh, separate but equal branches of government. The legislation, legislative branch can only do so much. And working with allies on this, again, it has been discussed. Uh, how we operationalize it will um, have, to be, have to be paced. Uh, but there is there is um, a lot of interest and a lot of understanding that not only is this the idea of hosting each other's seed data um, good in and of itself, it is also good in terms of it shows the strength of alliances. Right? We're not going to host the data of an adversary. We're not going to let them host ours. They are, might take it. <laughs> they might steal it, which is what this is all about, um, preventing that. But, um, you know, alliances are, are absolutely important in this endeavor. They are. And it has been absolutely fascinating to have you on this podcast. Just one last question. You are a Republican. You serve as the vice chair of President Trump's Intelligence Advisory Board. And you're a member of the Cyberspace Alarian Commission, which is bipartisan. And I think it's so fascinating and, and actually quite encouraging that, that the commission has come with, up with all these really extremely productive findings, despite including members of both parties and, in fact, different parts of government. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the working environment within the Commission? Was this, were the conversations productive? Did you fight along partisan lines? It has been a wonderful experience. Um, we've spent uh, almost seven months on this, almost every single Monday for two hours, uh, four sitting members of Congress, um, two from the Senate, Two from the House, uh, our co-chairs are the members of Congress, uh, two of them. One, Senator Angus King, who's an independent and caucuses with the Democrats. Uh, One uh, House member, uh, Mike Gallagher, a Republican from Wisconsin. Um, As you said, there were six outsiders of whom I'm one, uh, a a fellow who's head of a a major utility, and uh, four deputies from uh, agencies in the U.S. government. They came, all all 14 of us and the staff came almost every single Monday for for seven months, two hours. Uh, You'd be hard pressed listening in to know which were the Republicans and which were the Democrats. Um, There was often heated discussion, but it it was about serious issues, not the politics. Can you have deterrence in the world of cyber? Those types of those types of things is are the nuclear analogies uh, relevant in today's world? This has nothing to do with with politics. People were serious. They were respectful. Um, and they uh, again, it was it was just an honor um, to be a, a member of this commission. 
And the results are something that I think many other countries will look at. And, and in fact, uh, they may they are likely to decide to set up similar commissions, I think. Um, so thank you very much, Samantha Ravitch, for joining us and for uh, your incredibly uh, insightful comments. Thank you. Do food retailers have a role in national security? Now, a number of weeks into the coronavirus outbreak, I'm sure everyone has realized they do. But how do you incentivize private companies to do their part for national security? Do you do what the Cyberspace Solarium Commission has proposed or other other ways? And should more countries defend forward like the US Department of Defense does? Tweet me your thoughts and suggestions. And my Twitter handle again is Elizabeth Bohr. Many thanks to our producer, Tom Askett. We'll be back very soon with another episode and another guest who is doing pioneering work. See you on the cusp.